Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I am excited about today's guest. Uh, we have Kevin Schneiders here. He is now, I thought he was CEO and president of EDSI, but he's really the chief servant leader. Um, I'm excited to learn more about uh, your title and the, and the history behind that, Kevin. Um, EDSI is a workforce development company. They customize training. They do consulting services. Um, Kevin has really grown the organization. I've known Kevin for a long time. When I knew Kevin, <laughs> way back when, we won't say when that is, right, Kev? <laughs> but um, they had nine employees um, when they first started. They're now just under a thousand employees. Congratulations on that success. Um, more success that I know um, of you and your company. Uh, you've been a winner of the best and brightest companies you work for for years. Um, you have been an elite winner in the Detroit region. You've also been an elite winner at the national level. And in 2022, you were one of the top companies in the country. Um, and you received the National Elite Award for Employee Education and, and Development, which is no shocker, and not your first elite award, I might add. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you. Kevin, say hello to everyone. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. And, and thanks for creating that space where we can recognize the people at EDSI. I mean, no false humility, but I smile so broadly when you talk about those awards because it means that I'm thinking about Arlene Jones and all the people in our talent team and all the amazing people that do so much to make EDSI great. So I, I love that. And thank you for creating that space for companies like ours. Oh, well, well-deserved. And, and that's spoken like a true servant leader. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Um, you know, your sweet spot is uh, workforce and skills and skills gaps and developing people for um, new careers or uh, what's available in the marketplace. Uh, uh, we are hearing from the best and brightest companies to work for, as well as um, um, companies across the country, that there is this expectation of people coming in with a certain skill set for a certain salary. And it's a really hot topic now because that's not happening. People are getting hired. Um, they, they say they have skill set or they ex, skill sets expected at that level and it's not there. Um, so let's dive into that. Tell us more about your methodology for what you use on skills gap and preparing people uh, for their career. So let's let's swim in that for a minute. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, as a former educator, Jennifer, I could get pretty nerdy on the curriculum side. And I think in that way, people say the devil's in the details. I just think the details are in the details. So it's really important if you're hiring and looking for that fit. As we design customized training, we do that based upon a very specific analysis of what you're looking for. And I'm talking about, imagine a position description times 100. So you're really looking at details in that way. When we prepare people for the workforce and the workforce development work that we do at EDSI, that's really where I would appeal to employers to say, okay, maybe the fit isn't perfect, but what are we doing as, as employers to bring them in and say, okay, we're hiring for our values. We know we have a person here with great cognitive ability that can learn quickly and ramp up quickly. And then how can we take responsibility for that in a way that allows them to, to find space in the organization? No one can train our people like we can train our people. That's why we invest in it so heavily at EDSI for our people. We get excited about recent college graduates. 
because they're not coming in with anything other than what we can you know, indoctrinate them to at EDSI. So it's really exciting for us to see, here's a person that fits our values, that wants to learn and is willing to be open to what we're going to teach them to do at EDSI. So if you're having trouble with that fit, maybe expand the lens a little bit and say, how can I really build out an apprenticeship program? And uh, how can I do that work internally? There's all kinds of resources to help you with that within the communities that you're in. Yeah, so apprenticeship programs is a good one. Um, partnerships with companies like yours, partnerships with um, local universities, local colleges. I know that some, some industries have created their own curriculum within schools, uh, whether they're high schools or colleges to, to get people onboarded. So all very good, good advice, good advice. Um, so you can't be one of the top winners in the country and not have a fantastic culture. Um, EDSI is well known um, for the culture, and that doesn't come without rituals and beliefs and structures and, and communication. Um, could you tell us some of your best practices for engagement and retention? Give us some examples of those rituals that you have within your culture or some of the things that make you unique for working there. Yeah, we, um, gosh, a couple years before the pandemic, Jennifer, we started a program that I was calling schedule shaping. So it created that flexibility. I remember I hired a, a person here in Dearborn that I was meeting with and she said, well, what will the schedule be? And I said, why don't you just tell me what you need the schedule to be? So this is again, two, three, four years before the pandemic. And so she ended up having a schedule where she dropped her kids off at school, came in until she picked her kids up from school and then went home and worked an hour or two from home. And so that for us in schedule shaping was really helpful to create that flexibility. Uh, we do a lot with job crafting, as you might imagine, to work with people, we call that career sculpting. And so trying to work with people to show them what their trajectory could be at EDSI, show them a future. I mean, think about great organizations like LinkedIn that are helping us to, to do great things. And they're also sending emails to our people saying, I've got another job for you. And right? so if you think that LinkedIn and other organizations are contacting <laughs> us on our platforms more than we're contacting our own people sometimes. And so we just have to be fair about that and, and, and own that and say, okay, we're going to reach out to our people and show them what great jobs we have within EDSI for them to consider in that career sculpting. I think those things are, are huge, but foundationally people come to EDSI because of our values of show up, smile and support. We're very clear about it. We're very consistent with how we live those values. And so they know what they mean. And we have a cadence of how we talk about those things. And so they they come in with eyes wide open, right? They know what, what to expect. And that really helps within the retention is that there are no uh, surprises within the environment that way. I can't help but notice when you speak, you have your own language at EDSI. You create your own words, your own terminology. Instead of work like blend, you call it scheduling. Uh, what did you call it? Yeah, schedule shaping, right? Schedule shaping. And then you use the word sculpting. I, I mean, you can tell it's a creative space over there. Um, super wonderful. Um, so during the pandemic. Uh, I, I hate to keep talking about it, to be honest with you. I don't know how you feel, Kevin, but um, a lot of companies, especially larger companies like yours, our processes, procedures, um, all of the, the metrics that we have, they were all tested. Like how well is your glue, is your fiber holding the company together? Um, and processes are very important. Can you share with us 
um, what you learned in during the last three years of processes, procedures, the glue, the fiber, how did yours hold up? Yeah, a couple of things you said within what is a really important question too, Jennifer, is we hate talking about it and I'm with you. I don't wanna keep talking about it. At the same time, what we resist persists in that way, right? We have to face those things that are hard and challenging. I think we'll be unpacking lessons that we've learned about the pandemic for another decade. And uh, I hope that it's centered in what you also said too, is what have you learned? Because all of us initially said, we just want it to go away and go back to what it was when we really should be saying, what's the new reality and how can we leave some things behind that weren't serving us well? I think your point is so poignant about processes because if you don't know and you're not organizing your work highly with, with great processes, then you don't really know how to change things. And, and there's a real tolerance then to just do a bunch of things. Where what we try to do, we've been ISO certified for 27 years plus, and a lot of companies got away from that um, as a tool. We're one of the very few service companies that, that adopted it initially. And for me, it, it created the playbook where we could go from one office here in Michigan to 85 locations all around the country in a very organized way. So to your point about the pandemic, all of those were tested. We grew by 30% during the pandemic. So they were tested, you know, plus, and I don't know that that was a great design on, on our parts, but you know, my part, I'll take responsibility. Uh, <laughs> for the, and, but it, you know, we knew what we were working from, we had a good foundation, and then so you could change, you could add one thing and see its impact. And I think if you're not highly organized and you don't have those processes, you're really not uh, able to test it and, and evaluate what's working. Well said, well said. It, I mean, and that's the thing, what, what I'm hearing you say is that we had process and procedures and we saw them through. We, we saw them through, we, we remained consistent with them. And that is foundation that didn't shake. Maybe the wind's blowing around the building, but the foundation and the structure's not shaking because of the process and procedures. And um, so often people just rely on culture to get them through tough times, but it's also process and procedures. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure a lot listening here um, can, can echo that or, or get a little aha moment from that. Um, one of the things that we notice, you know, we, we survey a lot of, a lot of folks thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees of the best and brightest um, every quarter we survey. And um, one of the lower scoring areas relates to C-suite leadership. So let's talk about this. Um, transparency. So especially a company your size, transparency is a big issue. Um, the CEO is communicating. They think they're over communicating. The survey results back from uh, across the nation said, nope, you're not communicating enough. And, it, it, and the little side effect is um, there's trust with transparency, right? So let's talk about communications, trust and transparency at, at all levels. Um, how do you make sure that it gets all the way through the company. What what best practices do you have around trust and transparency? Yeah, and there's a lot of different platforms and there's a lot of different techniques just to pay homage to what is a great question, Jennifer. I wanna make sure I answer it first, which is to say you have to try a lot of different models. You know, Consider the fact that there are people who are maybe older in the workforce that love email, 
but there's other people that don't want to hear anything from email, right? They want to see you just hit them up on Teams or some companies use Slack. And so you have to use all of those channels to communicate well. One of my mentors used to talk about something that stuck with me too, where you talk about a traffic cone. And so if you imagine an organization like a traffic cone, even one that's organized like ours, where servant leadership, we're serving the people that we work for, you still have a hierarchy within the organization. Everyone has a boss. And so when you think about that as the chief servant leader, I sit at the top of that traffic cone. And here's why it's important, because traffic cones are three dimensional. So our chief talent officer that reports to me, she doesn't see what's on the other side of that traffic cone. She's not having to deal with 25% of the organization or 20% of the organization. And in that, she doesn't understand that the way I do. So as a leader, when I see everything, I make assumptions about what's clear and what's not. I'm speaking from a place of having a vantage point where I get to see everything. And I have to acknowledge that there are people even directly working with me that don't see the whole organization. And so that traffic cone's always in the back of my head. And he, you know, another one of my mentors used to say, you have to say it, you have to say it, you have to say it, you have to say it. As soon as you get tired of saying it, they're starting to hear it. That doesn't mean that they're not really intelligent. It just means that they only have so much bandwidth for what you want to say. That's why our values of show up, smile, support have been so integral for us uh, mm -hmm. because it, it's consistent, right? We don't come off of that message and we can do a lot of different things, but we're always going to come back to that foundation that you talked about earlier, Jennifer, that is, yeah. it's always going to be present for us. And, and I think that's important in the communication. The final thing I would say is as a leader, as a CEO, as a business owner, are you a good communicator? I think leaders tend to think that they're good at everything and there are people that just naturally aren't great communicators. And so just be honest with yourself and maybe get someone else to help you with that communication or do it for you. I think in that way, we have to look in the mirror and say, is that a strength that we possess in, in terms of communication? We have some good mentors. I, I've never heard that cone example, um, but that is a beautiful visual where you're at the top of the cone. You can see every circle, every layer looking down, right? But somebody else can't see around the corner of the cone or up above it or below it. Um, so really good example about how communication fails. Um, Multi-factor communications, um, texting, email, um, your internal social media, your um, in, in, in seven times used to be the magic number for somebody to understand something. It's now like 13, 14, 15 times you have to tell somebody or communicate something until it's received. Um, and then, of course, like you said, some people receive it this way. The same message is, is received this way by one person and this way by another person. So all really, really, really good advice. Um, now, I know how humble you are. And, and just here, I hope it exudes in, in this discussion because you, you even said that you still remember things that your mentors have told you. You're open to criticism. You're open to input. You're constantly seeking advice and wisdom. I think that's what makes not only you, but EDSI so strong, right? And, and no wonder you won the Elite Award in Education uh, and Development. So I'm, I'm not shocked by that, but just wanted to point that out. But let's talk about mentorship um, and philanthropy, um, philanthropic activities, charities. Um, you are very involved. Um, so your company is, but you personally are. 
um, you personally mentor yourself, you mentor high school student, and um, you're the president of the local Rainbow Connections, which um, grants gifts to children um, in that are, are terminally ill. Um, so let's talk about that. Not every CEO does it. There is a business case for it, but there's also a heart case for it. So tell me and give everyone here a feel for what you do in the community, you personally and the company, and why you do it. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. And thanks for your kind words, too. I mean, I always think that the kind words that come that aren't solicited and come from someone you respect or mean the most. So thank you very much for that. Uh, you know, for me, there's, I'm also involved with our schools um, and, and at my church, right? So there's a lot more on there. And I say that only because I've never done any of this work from a business case. I've only done it from the community case. And I thought some of it maybe was a responsibility, uh, but then you get into it and you, and you, I don't know, I tend to lose myself in service. And, and that's important because uh, it's what I enjoy and it's what I'm called to do at the same time you have to have boundaries, right? I mean, for me, I always said people before profits and nothing before family. And that's my North Star. That's what helps me get, get grounded. And so we had a, I had a case recently, um, our youngest daughter was turning 14 in February and I had a meeting you know, on her birthday. And so I had this whole plan in my mind where I was gonna pick her up and leave work, pick her up early from school, do something fun with her. Then we would have a family dinner. I'd go to my meeting from seven to eight and then we'd do presents afterwards with Kate. Well, I forgot about volleyball practice for two and a half hours that she had. So it was, it sent it all sideways. And then I remembered people before profits and nothing before family. And so I called the board and said, hey, I know I'm the president. I know I'm chairing the meeting, but I need my vice president to step up and I'm not going to be present. And so they might have kicked me off the board, but I had to be okay with that if they did, because I didn't want my 14 year old to remember the day that I wasn't present for her birthday. And so we all make those choices and it, there's no time management. Somebody told me once that there's only choice management, not time management, only choice management. And in that way, I made a choice and, and I'll always feel good about that choice, no matter how it works out. So please lose yourself in service, do that in the community. It is important and it matters, but don't do that to a point where it compromises your family. I've always tried to be present as little as possible at work because I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted to just promote these other people as much as I could in terms of the great work that they're doing. You have to monitor the business results to say, is that working or do you need to make adjustments? And so far we've been so fortunate that the company's done well as I've tried to do well in the community and, and be present for my family. Could you just give everyone here a feel for what your company does in the community? Because it's pretty incredible. Yeah, we get an opportunity, Jennifer, to um, to help people who are in economic, you know, bad bad spots, right? They're economically disadvantaged. They're feeling financial insecurities, and we get to help them get prepared for work. And that's just such an incredible opportunity. I've been doing it now for 29 years. Uh, we still have our first customer in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for 29 years. And we started with 50 dislocated steel workers who were out of work for three years. And we were called to try to come in as consultants and figure that out. And now we work with well, well over 100,000 people across the country that are in the same place. They, they have not known financial security. And it's our job to get them into a career where they and their families can feel that financial security. And I just, it's everything to me, right? I mean, the work that we do is our purpose, which I describe as putting people in front of a better mirror 
right? Mm -hmm. They haven't had the same benefits that I've had in my life. They haven't had those mentors. And so I'm, we're trying to hold up a better mirror for them where they can see a better future and they can see themselves in a successful career. And it's it's just awesome work that we get to do for communities that make, make a difference for sure. You're changing lives. And in anybody that works there knows that you're changing lives and it's very rewarding work. So um, kudos to you yet again, yet again. Um, you, you mentioned that it's important for us to document and share the lessons that we learned, um, especially this generation of leaders. Um, if you had asked me in high school that my generation would be the one holding the glue together during a world pandemic, I would have been said, uh-oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> but we did a pretty good job. We did a pretty good job, but we all learned lessons. Um, we all had those stories of, oh my gosh. Um, so could you share some of those, oh my gosh, stories and the lessons that you learned? So if somebody's watching this in 10 years, or 50 years from now and they have an oh my gosh moment um what wisdom would you give them yeah thanks and i'll try to be conscious of time too jennifer because this is going to be the biggest parts of both of our careers and, and you did it beautifully as i was able to observe from afar so congratulations to you as a leader for doing the work that matters leadership matters right it, it right. my dad used to say everything turns on leadership and i never wanted to believe that because i wanted to place everything in everybody else but it matters and so you show up as a leader the cadence of communication mattered a lot Right, we met daily at 7.15 for a while, then we met weekly, then we met monthly, now we've canceled that meeting. So you have to know what's required of you at that time and, and step up and meet that call and, and create the cadence with the right people in the room uh, to make critical decisions. Um, it, it was really hard, I think the two words that we adopted because it has to have a theme. You were talking earlier, Jennifer, about how we um, you know, we invent our own language or something, but I just, at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, we're going to focus on gratitude and grace because there are still, we're all still working and let's have a lot of gratitude for that. Other people aren't. And, and let's give each other the grace to process this experience the way that we need to and give ourselves the grace to know that we're doing the best that we can. And so we came back to those words every day almost, and it got us through that. So I would say in terms of what would people see 10 years from now, Pay attention to the cadence, recognize your responsibilities as a leader, and then pick words that are going to describe how you're going to experience this collectively. Yeah, and, and I noticed some underlining themes on, on your style as we're talking is, is mantras are important, um, especially when people are scared to have the confidence that someone says, this is what we're going to do and have those mantras um to lean on you know for us we said we're going to help as many people as possible this is our job we're going to dive in we're going to help as many as we can um that was our mantra you had your mantra so yeah that is very good wisdom um especially in the future if any future leader has to deal with fear for life in the workplace people yeah. were scared to go to the grocery store we we don't want to forget that no, for sure. Well said, Jennifer. <laughs> um, so besides the last three years, were there any other monumental moments in your career that you want to share? Yeah, it's such a great question. I, I don't think about monumental moments as much as I think about monumental people that we're able to experience. <laughs> like more more <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to work with my dad for 13 years. You know, I was very young in my career and 
Um, he remains, you know, unfortunately is, is passed, but he remains for me the best leader that, that I ever knew. And, and what he knew too was that his leadership style worked from about nine employees to about 50. And then, you know, the command and control style, he turned to me and said, hey, it's time for you to, to he was kind, but not generous. So he, I bought the company over 13 years, but you know, he <laughs> said to me, it's time, right? it's time. And you have your mother's personality. You are your mother's son. And you have the patience and the love of people that will take this company to the next level. So imagine that as the founder of an organization, Jennifer, to have the understanding and awareness to know that it was time and to recognize another leader. It, it'll be time for me to say those same things to someone else in a different way. And I just, I, I lean on him for that. It's just incredible. So yeah, very, very fortunate to have had great people that made my, my career for me. It all passes through me, right? I'm just trying to be a good custodian today, but you know, those people, they set the groundwork that I stand on today and I'm just eternally grateful for my mentors. Yeah, it, and as a family business, we all know the statistics of going from one generation to the next to the next. It, it's a difficult transition and um, it seems like you had a relatively, uh, you know, I don't want to assume, but relatively smooth uh, transition. So congratulations on that. That's wonderful. So one of the things we like to do on this program is we want to demystify CEOs and leaders. Sometimes, um, and society dictates this, human nature dictates this, we are judged for our title, um, we're judged for previous employer experiences and what have you, and, and people forget that leaders and CEOs, especially if they're your team, are humans and um, we're pretty approachable we think just like you do <laughs> you know so um so we'd like to take a minute to demystify you as a ceo and, and focus on you as a human um so what do you do when you first wake up in the morning what are some of your rituals daily rituals gosh first thing in the morning i have to be active jennifer i love working out and so for me there is a definitely a morning ritual around working out and yoga and stretching and and all of that stuff uh, for me i also try to find somebody uh, that lifts me up in the morning so connecting with someone that i know will bring uh, that positive energy that i need in the beginning of the day is important do you schedule those do you schedule calls with people to, to pump you up so to speak yeah, I don't I don't schedule them as much as I go to my list. So with the risk of making you think I'm a giant weirdo, I do have a list of people in my life that fit into like sphere one, sphere two. So the core four at home, I have two daughters and my wife. And then after that, there's like level one, level two. And so like, let's plan on golf season is starting, right? And so I'll look at that list now and say, how many people on this list like playing golf with me? How can I be intentional about how I schedule those things? So yeah, I go to my list and I say, which one am I? Core four, the, the the level one group can lift me up. And I just, I'll text Hi. them or I'll see them in the office here. I'm so lucky to work yeah. with people that I love. I call those my people. Who are right. my people? I need, yeah. I need somebody that's going to be a cheerleader today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, are there any speakers or books that you still remember and live by? Yeah. Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, if I had to pick one, right, um, he changed my life. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to hear him speak and he talked about the different types of intelligence. And so I unfortunately followed a brother that was very, very smart. 
and never considered myself to be smart. I've had great schools and great education, but you know, Ken, Sir Ken helped me to understand that there was creative intelligence and emotional intelligence that I had uh, a great depth of. And, and so really, I went up to him afterwards, tears in my eyes, and told him he changed my life that day. Uh, so yeah, Ken is amazing. He's unfortunately since passed, but uh, so many to mention, and he's the one that will always stand out to me more than any other uh, book or anything that I've contacted like that. I have a, a similar brother. It was very annoying in high school. He he barely studied and he get A pluses. It was so annoying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you have any pet peeves? What do you teach you? Yeah, I know what my triggers are, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's yeah, when people don't demonstrate caring uh, for other people, and somebody told me, you know, what ticks you, what, oh gosh, what ticks you off is what makes you tick. And so your gift to the world, mine happens to be being able to show and care for other people. Um, when other people don't do that, that becomes your pet peeve then, or like your trigger. So it could come out as somebody driving, like mm -hmm. a lot of bad driving these days, right? That triggers me because it demonstrates the tailgating is you don't care about the other person's safety and stuff. So yeah, for me, pet peeve in a, a bigger way probably is like not demonstrating caring for other people. Well, you mentioned grace earlier and giving grace. That's part of it, right? Yeah. Um, uh, let's close with this last question. It's a doozy. You ready? Yep. How do you define happiness? Boy, that is a doozy. Um, gosh, Jennifer, I just, uh, I just came back from Greece. Uh, the girls had a school trip and I was able to do a parallel path with uh, with my wife, just the two of us. And they always would say, know thyself, right? So I think a lot of it is, is knowing who you are. Um, it's kind of what, if you go and Google Michael Jordan trying to hit a curveball, like just being in the right, like he's terrible, Google it. He's a terrible <laughs> baseball player. He's the greatest basketball player of all time, right? So knowing who you are well enough to put yourself in the place where you can find success in your career and, and hopefully finding the right people around you. Like you said, you have your people. That's what creates the happiness is knowing who you are and being able to understand where you belong so that you can feel appreciated and feel that you can help others. And uh, that's genuinely happy for me uh, and just knowing yourself well enough. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, I hope those listening today have gotten something that they can take back with them as far as what a, a servant leader looks like, thinks like, communicates your style, and um, they say it starts at the top, and we can correlate the CEO to the high scores, absolutely. And congratulations to you again, and keep shining bright, my friend, and just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so much, Jennifer. You too. I really appreciate it. Wonderful having you on today.